Well, some years ago, actually 17 to be exact, the reason I remember that, it was the year before Kate was, was born, that I had the privilege of teaching in Zaporozhye, uh, Ukraine, at the Bible Institute there that Brian has taught at a couple of times. And while there, one of my fellow teachers, uh, actually became my roommate for the two weeks while I was there, was a man by the name of Hugh Walker from Canada. And Hugh was already in his 70s then, and so he is well into his 90s now. And um, one of those interesting individuals that God allows to cross your path in life, very gifted teacher of the word, um, friends with uh, the Grahams, uh, crusades with John Wesley White and Clyde Barrow in across Canada. And he's originally from Ireland. And the reason I tell you that is that as a young man, as he lived in Ireland, he was part of the Keswick movement. And as is their custom just prior to the war, they often would have an annual conference. And he went to that conference with several of his friends. They were late in their secondary education, and so they were uh, late teens, close to the age of 20. And while they were there, there was a man in attendance, uh, itinerant preacher of the Anglican tradition by the name of Brother Don. And Brother Don, to appreciate him as, as Hugh would describe him. If you've ever seen a picture of John Wesley with the old frock coat, the big white shirt, you know, the fluffy collar, the long hair, that, that was Brother Don. He even wore shoes like John Wesley wore. And so he was a little bit of an oddity as he stood out from the rest of the crowd. And what really made him stand out was one evening he was asked to pray. And this was his prayer. <clears throat> God, give me big feet. Very pregnant pause. God, give me big feet. Amen. Well, Hugh and his comrades thought that was rather odd, and they spent the next hours discussing Brother Don and his oddity and how they would ever let somebody somewhat that eccentric, pray, let alone come to the conference. And this conversation went on through the night, and then the next day, as they saw Brother Don coming in, Hugh said, to my shame, he said, I have to admit, I snickered along with my friends as he's approaching, as you saw him in this frock coat, the long hair in the breeze, looking like something out of the 18th century, and just how he had prayed. And it was like, that is an odd prayer. God, give me big feet. But he was struck by that prayer at the same time. Not wanting to tell his friends, he let them pass on to the dinner hall. And as Brother Don approached closer, he asked him, may I speak to you for a moment? And of course, he acquiesced to the request. And he said, can I ask you, why did you pray what you prayed? And he said, with tears streaming down his face, he said, I'm thinking of what Joshua said in his letter More specifically, what God said to Joshua, wherever your feet will tread, I will give you that land. And Brother Walker, he said, I have prayed for years, wherever my feet would go for the Lord, that he would give me that land for Jesus Christ. And that has been my heartfelt prayer all these years. And instead of going to dinner, Hugh went back to his room and through wrestling with God that night, he committed himself to the service of the Lord. 
that wherever he would go himself, God would grant him that, that place, that person, that people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's one thing that brought him to Zaporozhye, Ukraine, to train men who would go out and pray like Brother Don, Lord, give me big feet. A couple of months ago, we started looking at this first chapter of the book of Joshua, and I invite you to turn there with me tonight, if you would. And uh, we entitled that message, or this message, A Tough Act to Follow, because in this first chapter of the book of Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, Joshua is being commissioned by the Lord to follow in the footsteps of Moses. And he's being commissioned to take the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. And the Lord had said to him, wherever your feet will trot, I I will give you. And later he says, I have given you this land. And so in a sense, as we look at that, though this is not written to us, rather than for us, that perhaps someday we would be like Joshua as well. Wherever we would go, the Lord would give us those people, that people group, to share the gospel of Christ and see them for all eternity in the loving arms and worship of our great God and Savior. We began our time last time in this book by looking at God's commissioning of him, of going across and leading this people, and then also God's commitment to Joshua. And he said to him, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And in particular, we looked at three aspects of how he was with Moses and how this would encourage the heart of Joshua as he led this great nation, not only into the land, but also into battle on behalf of the Lord, and driving out the Canaanites from the land. And we said that the Lord was with Moses in the bitterness of failure, how he supposed that his brothers and sisters would recognize that he was the chosen deliverer for them way back there in Exodus, as it's recorded for us. And yet in that process, they didn't recognize that, and so he fled, having killed the Egyptian, and he spent 40 years in the desert uh, thinking about what could have been, but maybe should have been, but what not had, what had not materialized. And sensing that failure, that somehow he had failed the Lord, he had failed in his task. And then while he was there, we said that the Lord was with him in the breaking of that fear on the backside of the mountain. As he saw the burning bush, and as he had ran in, in fear, if you will, the Lord was dealing with that fear of failure, the fear of the unknown, the fear of maybe going back to Egypt, to finish the task that he believed God had initially given to him. And then lastly, we looked at the fact that God was with him in a battle of faith as God squared off against Satan, Moses on God's side, Pharaoh on Satan's side, as they went through the plagues of Egypt and then the angel of death. And so this God who was with Moses through his life, through these changes, through these failures and the fear and this intense battle, that same God promised to be with Joshua. And tonight we want to finish our message by looking at God's charge to Joshua in verses 6 through 9. So follow along, if you would, with me as, we, as I read for you, using the New King James Version tonight, Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And the Lord God said this to Joshua, Be strong and of good courage, 
For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's charge really is seen in three imperatives, three commands. Very simply put, and they're redundant, which is God's way of stressing the importance of this. Be strong and courageous. And just in case you missed that, Joshua, let me say it again. Only be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. The Lord, Yahweh, is with you wherever you go. Now, why, why would he give him that charge? Well, that's partly seen in his commission in the first place. You will lead these people into the land. Now, as you know, Moses was dead. It's made very clear to Joshua as if he didn't know it. I mean, it had been prophesied. Moses had undoubtedly told the children of Israel, I can't go in the promised land because I was disobedient. God's going to take me on a mountain, show it to me, and then I'm going to be no more. And so just so we don't forget that Joshua wouldn't think that sometime, maybe in the midst of great difficulty, Moses would come riding in on a white donkey, a white charger, to rescue the day, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. He's dead, Joshua. You will lead these people. Go over the Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I'm giving the people of Israel. Cross the Jordan. Yes, I know it's flooding. Yes, yes, I, I know that's difficult. But cross over, because I will be with you. And as we said last time, the Lord sovereignly gave them this land. And he could because Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So it was within the Lord's sovereign plan to give the children of Israel this land. And he gave it to him. And that's the promise of the land to Abraham a thousand years before. And God's comment that he was giving the people of Canaan 400 years to repent. Well, Israel sojourned in Egypt, and yet they wouldn't. I think there's a second reason why he gave this to him, and that's because he realizes he's not Moses. He's not Moses, who was a tough act to follow. While he had been Moses' right hand, it is not said of him that God spoke to him face to face as he spoke to Moses. Joshua knew firsthand how hard it was to work with these people. They had rebelled against Moses time after time after time. These people prior to going into the land the first time, had threatened to kill Moses and Caleb and Joshua because of the report they had given regarding the land. Add to the fact that he's older than most of them. So we have a generation gap here. Not just a generation gap of parent to child, but grandparent to child. Perhaps there is great fear 
But the bottom line is this, beloved, he had a huge task. For you shall give this people possession of the land in order to fulfill the promise I've made to the fathers. And so what was God going to give him? What was God going to provide for him to be able to do this very thing? Love, anytime God calls, he always supplies what is needed. And he gave Joshua the necessary resources. And there are two. The first, the person of God. Verse 5, I will be with you. And in verse 9, Yahweh, your God, is with you. He was with Moses, acting through him, using him, displaying his power, and with Moses giving us the very word of God. And he was with Joshua in giving that word to him. Well, think for a moment, if you will. Who is the first person to receive a Bible or a portion of the Bible? As far as we can tell, Joshua. As Moses wrote the words, and obviously Joshua finished the book of Deuteronomy, he has the word of God. Now, granted, God would add to the word in the progress of Revelation and eventually add even more to what we what we'd call the New Testament. But realize, not only in the person of God, God also gives him his very word. He gives him the law, hands it over to him as a book, and exhorts him. It's not a command to know the word, but it is letting him know, I'm giving you the word, if you will. And in this, Joshua was to know the word of God. He says, be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Verse 7. Implied in that, to be careful to do it, he must know the word. How can you be careful to do something you don't know? So it's implied that he would know the word of God. And then he says, do not turn from it, don't deviate from it, to the right hand or to the left hand, so that you may have success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book shall not depart. You shall meditate in it. In other words, you must know it. As the Geneva Study Bible says, it is not possible to govern well without the continual study of God's word. It is not possible to live well without the continued study of God's word. We still see some of the bracelets, but a few years ago they were very prevalent. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Beloved, before we would ask the question, what would Jesus do? It requires us knowing what did Jesus do? Does it not? If I want to know what would he do, I need to know what he did do. Correct? Maybe we should get new, new bracelets that say, what did Jesus do? WDJD, right? And on the other hand, then you can say, what would he do? Because you already know what he did do. Am, am I the only one that ever stopped to think about that? I hope not. It sounds nice. What would he do? 
Well, let me ask you, what did he do? And that's in essence what God is saying to Joshua. Know the word of God. It's like people pray in James 1.5. Um, oh, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom, right? James 5, you lack wisdom, ask of God. God says he will give wisdom to any man. But somehow we've divorced James 1.5 from Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, which says, If you receive my words, treasure my commands, incline your ear, apply your heart. If you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Beloved, we don't need what we don't use. And if we ask for something we need, but really aren't going to use, why are we asking for it in the first place? Because to ask for what you're not willing to work for really means you're not intending to change, or I'm not willing to change, because we're not willing to do what it says to do in the first place. We want wisdom? Dig for it. Search for it. Apply your heart to it. Cry out for it. Failure to do so is the epitome of the double-minded man or woman in James 1, 6, and 7. We didn't really ask in faith because we didn't want to do the work necessary to gain wisdom, which demonstrates in the first place that we have faith in God, that he'll reward our diligent search for his truth and will for our life. Yeah, Alan, Alan Pasa and I just had a brief conversation this morning. We were talking about Zambia and the possibility of what, what we could teach those pastors again or, or the kids there. Because even though you train, we've, they've been training them up. They, they have studied the Word of God. They've taught them her, hermeneutics the last how many years. We still have house parents who've had to be disciplined for propositioning the young women at the school. We've had young women get pregnant at the school. Though they've taken a pledge to remain pure, though they know what the Word of God says. Now, I'm not picking on them, because undoubtedly, if I started casting a wider net tonight, we could say the same thing about our own lives. Where have we been disobedient to the Word of God that we already know? Or when we've been faced with an issue, we say, God, Lord, what, what, what do you want me to do? Oh, Lord, give me wisdom. Do we turn to the book? Do we know the book? Because he says in Proverbs 2, if you dig, if you search, you will find it in the Word of God. And so Joshua was given the resource of the Word of God. And may I remind you, he was not given all 66 books. He was given five books. Five books to depend on because they were the Word of God and it would be sufficient for him and the people of God. But not only was he to know it, he was to talk about the Word of God. Notice verse 8. This book shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. It shall not depart from your mouth. Now I realize there's meditation, and we're going to look at that in a moment. 
But I really believe, he's not just saying meditate on this. Again, we'll look at that in a moment. But talk about it. To talk about the word. How does it apply here? How might it apply there? Speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart, as Paul said to the Ephesians. That is a sign of being spirit-filled. How do I do that? Unless I have something to speak from. Unless I have a reserve memorized that I have been chewing on to be able to speak to that situation and do And so not only was he to know it and to talk about it, but also meditate on it. Mull over, mumble to yourself, chew on it like a cow chews her cud. Growl. Talk under your breath. Not gangusman, Philippians 2, but talking under your breath as you're thinking through the word. Talking about the word. Talking to yourself, as Dr. Lloyd-Jones would say. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Success, prudent, you will understand what is there. Then you will make your way prosperous. The Greek, LXX, has successful. Literally, the Hebrew says, you will advance, and then you will be prudent. You will be successful. Successful in owning IBM or Apple? No. You will be successful in living life. As Pastor Brian talked about today from Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. There's the success. You will have success in obeying God and doing his will for your life. And again, that goes back to James 1, 5 and Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. Want wisdom? Dig for it. Search for it. Cry out for it. It's found in the book. Then your life will be successful. Not necessarily easy. Not necessarily pain-free. Not necessarily that you will have great wealth and popularity and power. But that you will have godly success. You will accomplish God's purpose for which he set you here. I know about you. I know there's a number who have been to the orphanages in Ukraine, to Ladesian and Pliskov. And you've seen our pictures and Lenise and Wayne's pictures and and Chuck's from there. And many of those children we saw, young men and adults we saw tonight in the the brief video in Camp Daniel, very similar situations. And there are people outside these walls who would say, what earthly good or what earthly purpose do these people, these children, these disabled adults serve? And as the t-shirt said, right, this is God's plan. I am God's plan. And they bring him glory. See, they're, they're not encumbered with all the cares and worries that you and I are. 
They're not encumbered about being popular in school. Most of them are not encumbered with getting ahead in the American dream. Most of them do not have on their radar screen a particular college or necessarily even a particular career. But they serve God's purpose for his glory, and they know him in their heart. And this book tells us that, if we'll look at it. It tells us they and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew each and every one of them as they were knit and formed in their mother's womb. God knew, as he said in Jeremiah, the plans I have for you. Right? That's the wisdom of God. That is what will give us true success when we grasp that, when we meditate on it and look at it. It doesn't equal a big bank account, a high position or power, but it carries with it the connotation of a life that has purpose, a life that makes a difference, a life that achieves what God intended it to do, fulfilling our call in ministry and life. And note, too, he says the word again, specific, specifically the law. Now, some might wonder, you mean the dietary stuff? The feast and the festivals? Not mixing milk and meat? Well, yes and no. Yes, as there are things to learn about God, about his purity and his holiness, but no, as to being under the law. But more importantly, meditate on his story, or as they like to say, history, the creation, and the fall, the flood, and redemption, and the mighty acts of God, his grace and his mercy, his using ordinary men and women, even using people who fail. We learn that failure is not fatal, though failure to change can be. We see faith and we see righteousness. We see judgment and obedience. We see how to approach a holy God. We see the character of God in those five books. We see all that and more. We see how a sinful person can relate to a holy God. We see that sin requires sacrifice. We see that unless there's a shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It points us to the cross. It shows us God is fair and just and holy and righteous. That you can depend on him, that he is faithful, he keeps his promises from generation to generation. Though we may die never seeing the promise fulfilled ourselves, he fulfills his promises just as he said he would. And so we meditate on these books to see his story work out. And beloved, aren't you thankful that he gave us more than just those five? But he gave us the other 61 as well. To continue seeing the unfolding of his mercy and his grace and his wisdom and his purity and his holiness day after day, year after year, Decade, century, and millennia after millennia, this same God wants you and I to know his word, to speak of his word, and to meditate on his word. And notice also, 
because of where it leads. Obedience. Joshua was to obey the word of God. Verse 7, don't deviate. Don't turn from it. Verse 8, don't let it depart. Again in verse 8, at the very end, be careful to do all according to it. And we ask, why? Why? Because all of your failure and all of my failure can be traced back to either not knowing the word, not meditating on the word, talking about the word, or simply not obeying the word of God. Which generally, if not always, is the result of not doing the previous three things. Right? Disobedience doesn't just happen. But if we don't know it, if we don't meditate on it, if we don't talk about it, it's pretty hard to obey it. Is it not? And I would submit to you that there's not a failure in your life or in my life. Whether over the years, this past week, or even today that cannot be traced to a failure to know it, to speak it, to meditate on it, or to do it, or all four. And so let me ask you in closing, are you having a hard time obeying God right now? And I want you to know, I ask myself that question as well. Hopefully you've tuned in the last couple of Sunday mornings. The messages from 1 Peter about the Word of God. Even as Brian spoke so well this morning, if you weren't convicted, you were having an exceptionally fine day today. Or your wood's wet, one of the two. That's in old Addie's. I mean, your wood won't burn. Okay. Um, And so it's kind of interesting that it worked out that I'd be able to share this message tonight. Because those sermons have been convicting. And this message has been convicting to me. Because it is true. If we are failing, it's one of these, or all of these, or combination thereof. Has to be. Can't be any other explanation for it. And so I ask you, as I ask myself tonight, do you know the Word of God? And I would tell you, most of us here are educated beyond our obedience. We are faithfully taught the Word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But it's not just an issue of being taught the word. You and I need to do something with it. Not just hear it. Not just fill in the blanks on the white pages or the note page, the outline. But do you study the word of God? Do you know it? No, I don't mean can you recite back to Brian what he said. Or, or give Blake an answer to the question that you filled out, the questionnaire. 
I'm asking you and I'm asking me, do you know it? Do you really know it? Not just the facts. Do you know it? In the application sense of that word. And if you don't, you and I need to get busy knowing it that way. Do you talk about the word? Or is that only a Sunday or a Bible study thing? Do you talk about the word? Whether to yourself, to others, do you talk about it? Do you and I meditate on the word of God? If you are walking down the street with someone think you're a derelict because you're talking to yourself, you're growling under your breath because you're wrestling with the word of God and what's going on in your life at that moment or has been or an issue as you're trying to help a brother or sister walk through something. And do you obey the word? Do you and I obey it? Not just the parts we like. Not just the parts that are making things more expedient for ourselves. But all the parts. All aspects of it. Some years ago... G.K. Chesterton wrote this. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Beloved, it would be my prayer and my hope for me and for you that this would not be true. As hard as it is to know the word, to really know it, Not just memorize it, but to know it, to talk of it, to meditate on it, to obey it. I pray that this would be true, that we would try, really try the Christian life. Father, I can't imagine what Joshua was thinking as he stood before those waters at flood stage. And maybe perhaps what went through his mind, and it might have been that he was excited. He was chomping at the bit as we catch the glimpse of back in Numbers. He and Caleb were ready to go up as they said, they are our bread. Let us go up and conquer the land. And perhaps that is exactly. Perhaps he was that way, and yet he had been reflective as he thought about the 40 years wandering and the situation prior to the wandering where the children threatened to kill him and Moses and Caleb. And then as he saw the people's disobedience, even when you said, don't go up after you had given them their consequences, and they went up and they were defeated, and they cried and they wept, and day after day after day for 40 years they wandered and people died, and there was funerals, and there was bitterness, there was tears, there was complaining and grumbling against the servant of God. As he reflected on that, undoubtedly, he knew he had only one place to go, and that was to you and to your word. And, Father, I don't know the hearts that are all here tonight. I don't know what battles my brothers and sisters are struggling with. I, I don't know even what happened in their home today, in their car, as they were walking, what has been happening in so many lives. But you do. 
And you know the floodwaters that some are facing. You know perhaps some of the failures that some have experienced. You know of the struggles that some are going through as they're trying to grapple with what is going on in their life. And they think you are silent. And they may think that you don't care. And they may pick up this book and it just seems silent and and, and doesn't seem to want to open before them. Father, help us to learn from Joshua, from your exhortation, from your charge to him to be strong and courageous because you are with us. And you, as you gave Joshua the word, have given us the word of God. Not just five books, but 66 books. And you have promised that if we ask in faith, that if we come and we have a heart that is holy before you, not divided, not doubtful, but a heart that's willing to dig and to search and to cry out, you will hear and you will answer. God, give us the courage to be diligent in knowing your word to dig it out, to find the answer. And when we do, as we chew on it, may we do it. Father, we ask this so that your will would be done, your work would be accomplished, you would be glorified, and we would be the men and women of God you've called us to be for your glory. And we ask it in the powerful and the precious name of Christ. Amen.